Welcome to another episode of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, a music industry podcast where everything is terrible, the house is on fire, and I am extremely tired. I'm Matt Bacon here with my beautiful co-host, Keith of Ghost Cult Mag. What's up? And our lovely guest, a very dear friend of mine, Curran Reynolds of The Chain. Hey, Matt and Keith. Thanks for having me. Curran, how are you today? What's going on? I'm doing great. I'm wrapping up a week of work. Uh, going to see Today is the Day tonight, a band that I love and I played in for a while years ago. So I'm psyched for that. So, 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 okay, so let's talk about this because you have kind of an interesting origin story, as it were. Because um, you kind of started out. So, how did you start out? How did you get into Today is the Day? And then, like, what, when did that transition into doing PR? Um, I was a Today is the Day fan as a kid, uh, as a teenager. Uh, They were really one of my favorite, favorite bands. And I got to see them live going back to like maybe 96, 96, 97. Um, First time I saw the band live was at Coney Island High on St. Mark's. And I, I think I was at that show. (laughs) <laughs> oh hell yeah it was unsane and today is the day yep i was definitely there and i Amazing. lost my fucking shit so we were in the same room keith i know probably many times dude that's wild um yeah so that was my first time seeing the band and uh and had been a fan for maybe a year before that and just really connected with the whole thing um but yeah like it was maybe it was maybe 10 years after that, and I was already a publicist. Um, maybe like 2006 is when I reached out to Steve as a publicist, and I was like, hey, do you want PR help? And it happened that he did. He was kind of trying to re refigure things and relaunch his band in the best way possible at that time. So it was really good timing. And uh, we met up and we hit it off. And so like overnight, basically, I was the publicist for this guy who I had idolized as a musician for so long. Um, A few years after that, you know, we had a relationship. We were working together. Uh, 2010, he needed a drummer and he invited me to join the band as a drummer. So that happened Uh, 2010, I think. And I did it for three years. I made one record with him, Pain is a Warning. We recorded with Kurt Ballou. I did a couple US tours, European tour, back to Europe to play festivals. So we did a lot of cool stuff within three years. And um, then it just kind of ran its course. There's other things that I I wanted to prioritize and, you know, making my own music, not as a drummer in someone else's band, but doing my own personal thing, which I started to do. And um, whatever, just different life stuff. So it kind of ran its course. But uh, he is, to this day, somebody I really look up to as a musician and 
just more generally as a person, you know, somebody who uh, is just so independent and doing things his own way. Uh, very well said. And so how did you get involved in PR? Um, I could talk for so long on this and I don't want to bore you guys. So I'm going to try and make it concise, but basically like just being really, really passionate about rock music from the time I was like nine or 10 and just obsessing about bands, you know, starting with like whatever synth pop was on the, was on MTV in the eighties and shit I was hearing on the playground. Um, and it just went from there. Um, started playing drums at age 10. My mom was super, super supportive. Everybody in my family, so supportive. Just You're the first drummer we've had on the show whose parents have been stoked he played drums. <laughs> yeah, it's insane looking back on it because like me and my mom and my sister lived in a little house and my drums were in my room and they encouraged me to just bang my drums. Like in that sense, I was very spoiled. Like I can't even believe looking back on it that they put up with that. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's where I come from is just being so passionate about music and from such a young age, just obsessing. And I think also we lived out in the woods in Maine. My dad lived in a small town in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. I think something about being in those remote places might have fueled the whole thing um, in terms of just obsessing about bands and fantasizing about, you know, how could, how could I be part of this? How could I, what could I do in the future? Um, there might be something there about living out in the country and how that might relate to, to that kind of obsession. Anyway, so that's how I got started. Basically, uh, my first industry job of any kind, I came to New York City to go to college and uh, I went to Matador Records and got an internship there. They put me in their press department. I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, I mean, I was there for like six months and I still didn't really understand what we were doing, I think. But uh, that, yeah, that's where it started. That was like 97, I think, that I did that. And then, um, you know, I was still in college. Uh, graduated and right after graduating, I got a job at Earache Records and I was hired to be the publicist for the New York office, you know, the U.S. publicist, uh, North American publicist. And, uh, and that, so that, that was my, that was my first real serious music job was, was being publicist at Earache Records. And I kept that job for five years and in 2005 decided, Hey, I think I could do this for myself. I think I could, I think I could go freelance and make this work. And obviously I liked that idea. I like the idea of having that freedom and um, just doing my own thing. That has, that's something that's always appealed to me. So yeah, I made that jump in 2005 and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's, um, that's pretty gnarly. I know Keith is bristling with questions. So yeah. many things to unpack. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, follow both uh, your twin or triple track career. Uh, which is super impressive and killer. And you've helped so many bands that I personally love because the weirder and stranger, the better for me. Um, 
And even Ghost Cult started out being like a very fringe avant-garde publication when it was an actual zine eight years ago, not now when we are a little more zine of the people or website of the people. But uh, yeah, man, uh, do you find kind of a, an interesting crossover being a musician and then also helping sort of foster and you know steer the career and the reputation management of all these bands? Yeah, I think that I obviously I relate to the bands because that's my background too. And I, I can get real passionate about these bands and like, you know, I team up with these bands and try to help them the best I can. And, uh, and yeah, I really feel like I'm part of their journey oftentimes. And, um, and I relate to that so much because it's, it's a journey that I'm still on myself with my own personal stuff, the music that I'm making. <clears throat> right on. And so, so talk to us about the music you're making right now. I want to circle back to more PR stuff, but just tell us about body stuff for a moment. So uh, around the time that I was quitting today is a day in uh, 2013, it's just this idea that started bubbling up that I wanted to make music that was entirely my own, like no more being part of someone's band, no more democracy, just full dictatorship of my own thing. And, uh, and this is also like, I'd been playing drums since I was 10 years old. So this is like 25 years of playing drums. It's not, it's not just the three years of today's day. It's, it's like 25 years of drumming, playing in bands, et cetera. Um, so it just lined up where it was like, yeah, it was the right time to, to make this move and start doing uh, music that was all mine. So that meant singing for the first time. I'd never sung. I was 35 years old, I think. I'd never sung beyond karaoke. Um, <clears throat> writing songs, you know, myself, uh, which I'd never, I'd never entirely done. I mean, I'd been in bands and, and collaborated and contributed riffs and obviously drum parts and ideas, but I'd never top to bottom sure. written songs that were all mine. So it was cool. It was just like a project. Um, I had a roommate just prior to that, this guy, Mick Barr, plays in Kralis, plays in many different projects. Um, we were living together for a few years in New York, and he actually came up with this statement one day out of nowhere. He's like, yeah, I think everybody on Earth should make a solo record. I just think that would be healthy for humanity if every single person made a solo record at one point in their life. And he was being kind of funny, but I took it to heart. I was like, yeah, we, everyone should make a solo record. That's, that's a perfect idea. And uh, you know, that among a hundred other things added up and made me actually do it. And um, so that was really cool. It was really exciting. It was as much a surprise to me as anyone else, like what the music wound up sounding like because <clears throat> I, I went into it without any specific musical direction. It was more like, let me just try to express myself in a pure way and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happened. So I, I made that first record and I just released my third record. So now there's a trilogy of EPs out there 
body stuff, body stuff two, body stuff three. Creative names. Yeah. But I should add that, um, you know, I'm talking about this like it's all me, 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 and it's a dictatorship. But uh, my very good friend, Ryan Jones, who played with me in Today is a Day. And before that, we had a band together called Wet Nurse. Um, he's a super important part of body stuff. He's my guitarist. He's my engineer who records it all with me. Um, so it's, it's very much about him. Although I am the one writing everything. It's my vision, but it's, but Ryan gets a whole lot of credit too. That's very fair. Um, so, okay. So now I want to talk just about being a sort of underground person in Brooklyn because you had a concert series for a while, right? That kind of weirdly informed a lot of how the scene is now. Yeah. Um, so for, uh, six, exactly 6.66 years. Uh, I had a series called Precious Metal that was literally underground. It was in the basement of a bar in the East Village called Lit that is no longer there. Uh, I started that in 2006 and I ended that in 2013. And what did that look like? Because I know there was a lot of, like, I know the band Black Table, for instance, was a group who kind of felt like they owed you a lot. How did, how, what was that? And like, you've been involved in New York DIY for like 20 years. Yeah. What, keep, what keeps you here? Yeah, like the first show I technically ever booked was uh, 1999 or 2000. No. That's crazy. I'm going I'm to say it was 2000. Um, it was this band, Cattle Press, that put out a record on Hydrahead. Mm -hmm. Awesome band. Like to this day, like if you haven't heard that, go back and check out the Cattle Press record on Hydrahead. Uh, and funny enough, at, at the time I booked this show, they had Harley Flanagan playing drums for them because they okay. trained jiu-jitsu together at Henzo Gracie. And, and footnote, like so many years later, like 20 years later, I started training Muay Thai at Henzo Gracie. It's just funny how it all. Do you train all... with Harley Flanagan? Uh, no, he is a jiu-jitsu sure. instructor and I never fucked with jiu-jitsu. I only did Muay Thai. Um, but anyway, same, same academy. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, so the first show I ever booked was Cattle Press with Cannibal Ox, this underground hip hop group. And it was at this tiny bar in the Lower East Side on Orchard Street that's not there anymore. Um, I, so I booked shows like sporadically here and there and I was in my own band called Wet Nurse and to a large extent, no one was doing us any favors. So I wound up being the one to book shows for us and try to make stuff happen. Um, but yeah, the, the series called Precious Metal, that started in 2006, and that was a weekly series. So every single Monday I was booking a show. Oh, wow. It was crazy. Like after 6.66 years, uh, it was over 300 shows every Monday. Um, that was super cool. Like, you know, by the end of it, I'd had enough. But for a while there, it was definitely a cool thing. And I think it built, you know, over time it built up into something where, uh, people here in New York in the community felt like felt like it was a meeting place and, and you know people were meeting each other connecting um, it was really something but like 
what St. Vitus is now, I mean, they have, they're doing great. St. Vitus does a great thing and they have fully eclipsed anything I ever did. And I give them all the credit in the world and, and Acheron before them or around the same time, I guess, um, Acheron started up and that was a great thing as well. So I think, it, it felt like in 2006, there were, when I started the thing, there was no sense of, there was not much sense of community. And, um, sure. you, or it was there, but it wasn't so tangible. But by the end of it, you know, with St. Vitus, Acheron, all this other stuff, and, um, and social media in general, I think helping in different ways. Um, yeah, it did feel like it was a very different situation in the city by the, by the end of that time. I definitely feel like uh, Vitus Curran is the spiritual successor to Wetlands Preserve. I don't know if you go back that far. I do. Yes, I do go uh, back to Wetlands. Awesome. Yeah, wetlands was like a place where you could see Candiria when they were working out their first EP, but also see John Zorn. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, within like a day of each other. So it was a magical place. And then they kind of sold it and became a dance club. But um, Which they also had dance kind of weird dancey nights there too but uh i feel like vitus is that spiritual successor you have to be particularly vested and old i think it's before matt's time in new york but um yeah man uh that's amazingly deep i i have a question which is really kind of also again i'm just fascinated by this like venn diagram of your career so you know you have worked with some major artists and you've worked with you know especially like i said curating and uh, cultivating underground artists it's weird because people trying to get into music, it seems to me like if you're good, which is always a thing that's subjective, but if you are talented and you have kind of a, a perspective that is, you know, more attuned to the fringe and the underground, it is a lower barrier of entry clearly for an underground, you know, avant-garde type of metal or, you know, heavy, we'll say air quotes, heavy band, as opposed to, you know, some kind of pop star. And I, and I think you've kind of exemplified that, you know, just in, across everything. Hell yeah. Thank you. Um, and you speak about wet, uh, wetlands, just going back to that. I'm sure that we were at some of the same shows, Keith. I know. I, I know we probably were. Uh, yeah. I, I was out every day of the week that wasn't a, a Keefy band day. I was at a show because that was me. I was that guy but until I moved away from here in uh, 2005. But uh, and now I'm back. But uh, yeah, man, uh, New York. Had, it was weird. We had a time, and then it was kind of like Giuliani came in with like the Gestapo and shut everything down, and was horrible and abused and murdered people. And music also seemed to die a little bit at that time. Coney Island High closed. CBS was getting less shows and seemed to be fizzling out. Uh, you know, the Lower East Side was kind of in a weird transition pre-gentrification but corporate things were happening over there. There was still some cool things. Pyramid used to go to awful great shows at the pyramid and then just hang out and dance all night or hang out and watch people dance all night if you're me. Um, so New York was a fun time in the nineties and the early aughts, if you will, you know, it was a weird time for the, for the city. Yeah. I think that it's in a good place right now. And, you know, you're referring to like a cross, pollination of different styles and how important that is and and i agree with you like um in a place like wetlands and and now vitus and various other places where it might be an extreme metal show one night and something very different the next night or even later that same night um 
I don't know if that's exclusive to New York or maybe maybe the whole country is a little more that way these days. And, and again, technology, social media could very well help with that sort of potentially it could help with the, with the broadening of minds. Um, best case scenario, that's what happens. So, okay, so we've, we've kind of talked about the long history of New York DIY. What keeps you involved in it after all these years? Mm, it's still where my passion is as far as what really rocks me is people making great art and that goes for music and visual art and film and everything but but music is where I've put myself and, and that's where my career is and uh, I mean nothing gets me as excited as that and okay you know end of the day I've if I feel like I've helped bands that I believe in, then, then that's amazing. And if I feel like I'm in the circle of people who, <clears throat> who kind of relate to what I'm doing as an artist and, and can help me with that and I can help them, then that's what it's all about. What, so, so what makes you believe in a band? Well, that's a great question. Um, Hmm. I mean, there's just personal taste, right? There's, it's completely sure. subjective, right? Of like what rocks me versus what rocks you. <clears throat> As a publicist, I do have to think about business a little bit. Like, is this a band that is press worthy? Like I might love it personally. In addition to that, is it a band that there's something to write about? Um, I, of course I have to consider that. I have to consider like, what can I truly tangibly deliver for this band um and it's case by case you know what do you mean when you say sometimes there's a band who doesn't have anything to write about like like like, like i'm just trying to understand for the li for the listener who is you know primarily people in unsigned bands like what makes a band compelling to write about i guess is my question <clears throat> And well, and you guys as journalists definitely have knowledge of this. I mean, you can answer this better than me, but as publicists from my side of the fence, there's gotta be a story. There's gotta be something compelling. Um, music has to rock me personally because end of the day, I don't wanna be out there like hyping up a band I don't personally like because it just doesn't feel good. So that has to be there, but also I want there to be a story that you guys on the journalist side can write about, um, something compelling for people to read. And partly that's me getting creative, like maybe the band doesn't even know their own story, so maybe it's up to me to work with them and figure out what is going on here? Like, what is the story here? Let's figure this out. What, can, what is there to write about? Um, I do a lot of that kind of creative work with bands that I work with. Um, and visuals these days, so important. It's always been important, but like even more than ever, we're in such a visual, visually driven era. Um, and a lot of bands have no idea about that and they need consulting. They need help with, with image, photos, branding, all of that, so important. So 
Okay, so like you're crafting a band's story. What does that, like how, so a band comes to you and is like, we put out this record and we're, you know, we're from Baltimore, we put out this record, help. Yeah. How, how are you crafting their story? Yeah, I'm asking them a lot of questions from okay. day one. I'm asking the band a lot of questions. And from that info that I get back from them, <clears throat> I'm figuring out what the angles are. And, uh, and then working with them, I'm, it's collaborative. I'm never gonna, <clears throat> I'm never gonna go out there and rep a band. I'm never gonna pitch a band in a way that the band doesn't like. It's always sure. collaborative. Like, yeah, what do we have going on here? Let's figure it out together, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I ask a lot of questions. I basically interview them just for my own reference when we start. That's how things start. What kind of, um, what kind of questions are you asking? Those are my secrets, Matt. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't realize who fucking came you across the Vatican. That. You oh, gotta Jesus. pay for that. Okay. Wow. It's like skull <laughs> and bones. You gotta know the secret handshake to get the story. Oh, God. Um, I mean, you know, I am definitely guilty of uh, waggling my secrets in front of Keith. So... <laughs> Hey, I, I want to say on that note, though, in all seriousness, you guys are really, uh, you guys are really candid, and it's really cool what you guys are doing on this podcast. That's very kind of you to say. Episodes, just being so uh, transparent about things and creating this sort of place where there's a real conversation about music industry stuff, and there's no ego. I don't detect any ego. It's just like, hey, let's be let's create a community and let's talk about these issues um so you guys and also curtis who i curtis i don't know personally but just from listening to to the podcast i give him credit too super cool 100 percent. i really appreciate you saying that just considering i've been a fan of your work since i was in like high school um <laughs> that's really Thanks, kind i think i think I, it's also probably some kind of undiagnosed mental illness on some of the parts of the host here. I'm not going to say which ones, maybe Thanks. me. Thanks, and um, <laughs> I just said, maybe me. And uh, <laughs> I have no filter and I'm, you know, like I think Curtis, Matt and I, one thing I will say is that I think by show, like sharing our foibles sometimes, our hope is that other people will not just learn from us and share the stuff we know, but I think that's how everybody should be in the business. And I, and, and you know, this, this kind of spurs a thing in me, you are gladly not part of this, but I feel like there's a PR Illuminati and maybe it's outside of the underground and it's more in the commercial area. But I think there's kind of like a PR elite that definitely, you know, you have always been very approachable uh, to journalists for whatever site that I wrote for before I owned Ghost Cult or worked for Ghost Cult. There have been many sites before and you were always very eager and approachable. Like, hey, what can we do together? Is this something I can do with you? Can you help my guy, my support my artists? But it also seems to be kind of a civil war between some publicists and journos. And I recognize that some journals are garbage and not good. And we call them out sometimes on here probably to Matt and Curtis's terror. I'm very frank about that shit, about who sucks and who doesn't at their jobs. Um, but, you know, do, what do you feel? Is that, is that a real take? Am I just perceiving that wrong? Do you think that's reality? Um, in terms of some publicists not being cool and open and willing to work with 
with you or with certain yeah or maybe maybe it's just the journals a lot of journals are bad or there's just a dip in quality of writers and so just journalists feel like uh publicists feel like i'm too busy for this nonsense if you're not high quality i can't fuck with you yeah no i mean i cannot speak for anyone else so i don't really know how they're operating to be honest but i do think that a lot of people in the music industry are overworked um if want to to give them benefit of the doubt like people just take on too much work and so conversations fall by the wayside and and people are not communicating in a good way but i gotta say i get that from the journalist side too you know from my from where i sit it sucks if someone doesn't get back to you or doesn't want to work with you that's terrible um so I, I don't know. It goes both ways. I don't. I just don't really know how other publicists operate for the most part. So I don't know if I can answer your question fully. No, fair enough. So what I wanted to get into as we're as we're starting to run low on time is the chain sort of has a unique setup because um, it's you and two other guys. Can you sort of outline that for people who might be curious about how to understand it? Yeah, yeah. So the the most recent part of my story you were asking earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, I said in in 2005 I went I went freelance and I've been freelance ever since, but another very cool part of that story is in 2016 I teamed up with two guys and together we created a company called The Chain. And it's myself and Justin Pearson who's the owner, founder of 31G Records. He plays in The Locust and Dead Cross, Head Moon City, Retox, a bunch of bands. And then Brandon Gallagher, who used to be in Old Wounds. Uh, now he's in the band called Course, and he has a project called Trace Amount. Uh, these are both guys that I've, I knew for years through music, and both just really awesome people friends of mine and people who you know each of them brings a very unique set of strengths to the table and i knew that these are the type of people these are not even the type of people these are specifically the people that i would want to work with if i was ever going to team up with people um you know i've been on my own solo since 2005 and really not teamed up with anybody so that's more than 10 years um i think that i don't know if you call it a character flaw or or what but i always kind of wanted to do things myself and i thought that's where all the glory was you know do everything yourself as i got older i think there was a shift and i was like no collaboration is really where it's at so it took me a long time, but finally, 2016, I teamed up with the two of them, and uh, the chain is basically a PR company. It's it's the three of us, but we work independently. So I have my clients. JP has his. Brandon has his. But together, we created this brand, the chain. Um, we share ideas. We share contacts whatever we can do to help each other. It's just basically a handshake agreement between the three of us. We're gonna do this thing together. Um, and, and sometimes 
teaming up on a project. You know, JP and I have directly teamed up on one, one campaign. That has happened in the past. But for the most part, we've each got our own things going on. But it's more like behind the scenes, we have this network. We have this support system where we're helping each other out. Sure. That's a really cool, really unique model. Yeah, I think that it is very much to do with the personalities. Um, it's not something that would work with just anyone, but the three of us, it just makes a lot of sense. There's so much trust between us. Like it's never a question of trust at all. And um, we have a, but uh, it's just, it's just, it works out. It's just down to the personalities, I think. And, and, and we all come from music. Like we have this thing in common where we've all toured the country, toured the world. Um, you know, JP, perhaps definitely more than, even more than Brandon and I, he's been like on tour for 25 years. But, but we have this shared background of sorts and this understanding. So we're, we're coming at things from a similar place, I think. That's, um, that's very cool. Uh, Keith, as we wrap up, do you have any more final questions? Just no questions, but just uh, thank you, Curran, man. You are uh, a, such a, a fucking leader of this scene, and uh, we need more like you. I don't think there's anyone like you, but we need to find and you know help more people do the things you do and enable them somehow to you know help other artists get out there and succeed. Dude, thank you so much. That's very kind, and I really appreciate you. I appreciate both of you guys and what you guys are doing. Um, current, just so, you know, obviously how can people, um, get in touch with you after this? We're going to put all this in the show notes, but how, how, how do people guess best get in touch with you? So check out the chainworld.com and all of our socials are the chain world. And then for body stuff, it's, uh, body stuff, world peace. That's the, that's the socials. Um, body stuff on Bandcamp, body stuff all over the place, wherever you look. Thank you very much. This has been Dumb and Dumbest. You have been listening.